0: From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolfe, and this is Guilt On the last episode of Guilt. Who killed Jordan Vidori? Oh not fucking lie, dude. Like, I actually thought I was fucked, I thought I was going to go to prison for, it, to be honest, I won't lie. Mm. I was fucking
2: shitting myself. At the same time, I just wanted that town to burn. So that actually did erase some. When they showed me that, I was like, yeah, but okay, that's. I'd never known even going to those places and have been doing it quite regularly since I'd been there. And that got me worried. And even the cops were like, yeah, we know what those areas are.
0: Thanks again for your ongoing support of the podcast. It's growing exponentially, and with every new listener, is the chance for a new tip and we've been getting some great leads but please don't forget there are two ways for you to directly help the podcast reach new people you can tell your friends and secondly you can take a moment to give it a 5 star rating and make sure you hit follow if you're on Spotify or the plus symbol if you're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might be listening this will alert you to the moment each new episode becomes available for further information on the podcast You can follow me on Instagram, where I share photos and more evidence on the case. You'll find me at RyanWolfNZ. Some names in this podcast may have been changed for their own protection. Let's get into it. In episode 7, I concluded my interview with Gareth Smith, and while I didn't find the smoking gun I was looking for, I did learn a lot about Gareth, his past, and some information about Jordan I hadn't previously heard In relation to some known gang areas he'd been visiting in a nearby city in the months leading up to his death, I was able to provide a likely reason for these visits, being trade me purchases, but I wasn't able to completely dismiss them as potentially being related to Jordan's murder. But as I mentioned, without further leads in this direction, I'm at a dead end on this front. As the podcast and the investigation has progressed, I've been able to address some of the main theories and for the most part, eliminate them as being involved in Jordan's death. And you've heard this live, in a chronological order as it's progressed. But in this episode, I'm going to do something a little different, with the hope of possibly jogging someone's memory, and perhaps receiving some new leads. In this episode, we're going to go right back to my first visit to Paeiroa, and a very interesting interview I had with a very interesting local. It all started... When I was speaking to antique store owner Viv Leonard, you'll recall her interview from episode two, theories and rumors, where she gave me a rundown of all the prevailing theories in the town.
3: Actually, I do know someone that you could talk to, but she confused the hell out of you. And she li- have you heard about Sierra? No, I haven't. Well, she lives just over there. So where the, where the courtyard of that is, um, she reckons she heard a woman's voice that night, arguing with Jordan, but the police of Connor. So our street.
0: Oh, Do you have a phone number or something? No, for she friend? hasn't
3: even got a phone. You'd have to go and knock on her door. Um, so where are we? That's that building. Oh, hang on. Don't know where I am. That's me. It's and then the entrance to the coachman's is there. That's the. Oh, it's there. There's three shops. Well that goes around the corner. Oh, I've done it a bit wrong. But this courtyard of where you just went into is there, and Sierra. this house is there. Like, so the, it kind of backs onto it, so she could, mind you, her bedroom, her bedroom's over here. So she, she reckoned she heard a woman arguing that night, and she told the police, and she reckoned that it was a security guard, a woman, that killed him. And it's like... And she told the police everything, but... Um, yeah, you could. You'd probably.
0: Yeah, it'd be good to have a chat to her for sure. She
3: she's probably going to call back in here soon because um, she pops in because she's a friend of the girl who works for me. So she'd she'd love to have a yarn to you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But um, oh, and there's it, you'll see it at grotty, and she's got writing on the wall that says the police that the police are scum. I don't know. Um, it was a woman who killed Jordan. Or I don't know. Oh, it really? Says, Is that yeah, what she's got written there? Well. Right now? It was there last time I looked at my... There's a whole lot of stuff. If you go around and take a photo, it looks pretty bad. But then her windows got smashed, so it could be boarded up. And then her gate is just right where her place is. Her gateway is just there. And if you want to see, you could go in there. And then there's the car park, car park here for the backs so of those... Well, it's just one shop, actually. It goes in there.
0: So you turn down this direction? Yeah,
3: turn around the corner. You can't miss it. It's on the right. Yeah. So even if you just went for a walk, you'd see it. Yeah, Yeah, well, she doesn't even have a phone. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, she does not have a phone. I don't even think she's got a TV. She just reads a lot.
0: With no phone, it appears that the only way to track Sierra down is the old school way, on foot. But based on what Viv says Sierra witnessed, or more accurately, heard that night, It's obvious that I need to track her down. With some pretty rough directions scrawled on the back of a napkin, I head back out onto the streets of Paero. Trying to walk around and see if I can find this spot. After a couple of wrong turns, I find what has to be the place. A large shared door faces onto the road, with a few bits and pieces piled in front of it. Scrawled on the shed door is an old message, which in time has become difficult to read as it's been overlaid by many others. But under it all, I can barely read the words, the cops know who killed Jordan, and she's... and the rest trails off. Near the shed door, I find a small locked iron gate, overgrown with vines and ivy. I can see through to a small home a distance behind. For some reason, it reminds me of the entrance to Narnia, So much mystery potentially hides beyond. I don't know if this is it here. It's quite overgrown. Hello? Hello, anyone home? Uh, It's a really overgrown sort of garden with a gate that's got a padlock. Hello? Guessing that no one's home. No luck. The gate's firmly locked and apparently no one's home. I head back in the direction of my car, still pretty happy with the day I've had. Just when I'm packing my gear away, I hear and see a woman come jogging down the road calling out my name, and what do you know? It's Sierra. When I hear the words trans woman, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Remember, I've grown up in rural New Zealand, and we certainly lag behind the world in terms of progressive mindsets. Straight off the bat, anything I might have expected was out the window. She was immaculately presented, and honestly, could quite easily have just been mine or my friend's mum. Turns out, she had walked into Viv's store just a few minutes after I'd left, and she'd tracked me down through town. She has a story to tell, a story she has been telling, which she says has largely fallen on deaf ears, and when she heard about me and what I was doing, she knew how important it might be. We decide to have a coffee in the nearest shop, so we can have a formal interview, and while the shop was empty, it turns out there was a decent amount of traffic and background noise, so I apologize for that. It was one of my first interviews, and I was still learning the range of the equipment. Vivid informed me that Sierra is very passionate about the things she believes in. She makes her voice heard, and that certainly rattled some cages around Pidoa. I grab a couple coffees, and as we start the interview, I immediately understand what Viv is referring to. Without any prompting from me, she launches into her story, while I'm frantically trying to get my equipment set up. Just to let you know, her voice has been altered for this interview at her own request. So this is going to be recorded
2: obviously. i i was a dancer who worked for Bob South in Auckland. I've been retired down here 40 years. Just get these levels right
0: here. Yeah.
2: Um, I'll give you a full rundown as it happened if you like. I've lived in Pyro for 40 years. I retired here from Auckland. On the night Jordan died, I was sitting in bed waiting for a movie at 1.20, specifically. 1.15, there was a hell of a noise out the back of my building. It was a man and a woman fighting. the, The fight only lasted 40 seconds. There was three pieces of conversation. And then everything went quiet. And because I have been under such pressure from the local dog rangers I never took my German Shepherd around to check the block like I normally do. The next morning of course Jordan was found dead. I handed myself in at 11 o'clock outside the front of Jordan's truck shop and spoke to a constable there who took my particulars at the same time as he was eyeing up a piece of. 17 year old across the road in pink hot pants so after waiting for the police to come and interview me for a week i went and got really loaded and handed myself into the cops on a friday afternoon where they videotaped me and interviewed me for
0: about five hours thank you you. so can we we just go back to the the night to start with i mean first of all So you live, just to clarify, where you live? Right there. So, um, just for the record, so that backs on, the back of where you are backs on to the same...
2: I was, where I was sitting in bed, I was 50 feet from where Jordan got shot.
0: Does that look down onto behind the... No.
2: Not quite? No. The police, it took the police, um, I think it was nearly two years to do a sound check, to see exactly how much I could hear from my building. Um the night of the fight at ten uh, that he died, there had been a big disagreement between Jordan and someone else out in the main street. Now, I could discern the difference three hours later from where the sound was coming from over the back of the buildings because there was never any sound out the back of my building, only the front, and I hear everything yeah. so the police recorded and did 40 test shots, and out of those 40 test shots, I heard 36. Oh,
0: so they actually went out there with a rifle?
2: Yes, and and using all sorts of other percussion instruments. Um, The tape recorder picked up all the sound in my bedroom, and I was sitting in the next room listening, and I heard everything.
0: Okay, let's unpack for a moment. There's a lot of information here. My first thought was whether or not it was even possible that Sierra could have heard arguing from her building. In our interview, she loosely describes it as 50 feet from her bedroom to where Jordan was shot. I've since checked the distance using satellite imagery, and Sierra's building is indeed very close. In fact, only one other small building stands in the way. While I can't pinpoint exactly where this argument took place, I can pinpoint the area Jordan was shot, and the distance between these two points is 27 meters or 88 feet. While it's not quite the 50 feet Sierra states in the interview, it's still a very short distance. To give you an idea, your neighbor's house across your street is probably approximately 70 feet. If they were arguing loudly outside in the early hours, chances are you'd hear them. The second point raised is that a few hours earlier there was a loud disagreement between Jordan and someone else out the front of his shop on the main street. For the sake of consistency, this distance is 45 meters or 150 feet, twice the distance. But in the quiet of the night, if the argument was loud enough, definitely within earshot. If you'd like to get an accurate map of the location and distances of these events, I'll be posting this to my Instagram page. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find anyone else who can back up this claim of Jordan having an argument that night, but naturally, if it were true, The fact that only a few hours later, Jordan would be assaulted and fatally shot would be too much of a coincidence. The third and possibly most important piece of evidence is Sierra's exact recall of the time of the events. In previous episodes, I've investigated the understood time of the gunshot and that witnesses in the funeral home across the road reported the shot at approximately 2am. Sierra is unequivocal about the time of the second argument being 1 15 a.m. I queried her on how she can be so precise. So you know from on that night that it was 20 past 1 because of no it
2: was quarter past one and the police are saying it was half past
0: one. So what gives you that exact sort of quarter past time? Because the movie
2: hadn't started. It was a a vampire movie and it it had um, Wesley Snipes on it. Oh Blade! Blade, thank you.
0: Of course Wesley Snipes Blade. It's certainly possible that this movie could be playing late night runs on New Zealand television. This is one piece of the story I can easily cross check to check its validity. Or can I? I figured this would be as simple as contacting TVNZ and asking for the schedule for the morning of June 18th, 2012. But as it turns out, maybe not. I receive a reply from their communications agent that, unfortunately, We do not hold an archive of this information. Our archive is focused on footage preservation. There are two possibilities here. A, that they do hold this information, but just can't be bothered finding it for me. Or B, that surprisingly, they genuinely don't keep an archive of their old schedules. Either way, at this point, I haven't been able to confirm that Blade was indeed running that night. I've even tried finding old TV guides through Trade Me with no luck so I'm going to reach out to you. If you're from the area, and that morning may stick out in your mind, do you recall staying up late and watching Blade that morning? Or perhaps you, or someone you know, likes to keep old TV guides? Either way, please contact either via our Facebook page or email. You'll find the email in the show notes of this episode. Despite the fact that Sierra was able to hear these arguments and recall with such specificity the exact time, it was to my surprise that she never actually heard the gunshot. I've read in reports that there was two people that heard the shot. Were you one of those people? There, I'd never heard a shot. Oh, you didn't, so they must be oh. separate separate... Yeah. So you exactly, at that time, you heard commotion.
2: Commotion. And they were two foreign voices. One was specifically Jordan's Greek accent, and the other one was a specifically island accent.
0: The fact that Sierra never actually heard the shot, to me actually add some credibility to her story. In spite of everything else she's heard, the passage of all these years, and her conviction that what she heard was Jordan's killer, it would have been very easy to have just added in a gunshot to her story to complete the picture. But she didn't. And I respect that. However, although she didn't hear the shot, she did hear the voices. And while she wasn't able to tell what was said, She's confident she knows who said it. One of them was Jordan, and the other, a woman with a Pacific Island accent, not to be confused with an Irish accent. I want to be very clear at this point, that I've been unable to verify the following information, but as this is a genuine eyewitness account, I'm including it on the hope that someone may hear this and come forward. And just to clarify, you knew Jordan very well. Very well. So you would know his voice if you heard it.
2: Totally. Um, he was in love with an American pit bull that I had at the time. Yeah, yeah. He used to um, see us because I do. I, I got restless leg syndrome, so I'm out walking all bloody night with these big dogs of mine, and um, he took a shine to this black pit bull. Which was trouble. But he'd see us walking down the street and he'd go and shove a dozen olives in a pie tray and make her sit there and do all her tricks for one olive at a time. And it liked the olives. Oh loved black olives. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> loved them.
0: So you heard so you definitely Jordan's voice and someone arguing and that was at about one o'clock. And
2: the argument from her it was a female was like being in the O'Tara markets. She was st- speaking street, yeah. with an island accent, and I tracked her down, and I met her 14 months later, and she confessed, within five minutes of having a joint, that every night she was on patrol in this town, she had a 22 pistol under her seat.
0: So she was a security person or something?
2: She was meant to be sick that night, and her cousin was doing her run. What was her name? The Sophia. She was stealing from his fridges. Jordan told me this two weeks before he died. And I said to him, he's got, he said he was going to catch her. I said, don't do anything. I got this German shepherd that's trained up to be silent. We'll just let her have her. But Jordan, little man syndrome, had to solve it for himself. And we know
0: the results. So was because um, I heard that he'd been robbed a couple times. Freezes and was do you think that yes. was related to?
2: The cops said to me, "How did she get out of this town without being on camera? The whole town's camera." I said no, it's not. She just had to walk out that gate, walk down behind the fire station. There was a pee house, two houses behind the fire station, um, and she was swapping the food for drugs and then she carried on down the footpath behind the park and got in her car there and went out and around up um, Hubbard's Road and put her straight back onto Awaiti Road to get to Piaka.
0: Do you have, how could I get in touch with her?
2: Oh good luck, the cops are in absolute denial about her And bringing her up, I've been threatened with an aggressive witness charge. Because I am proactive about this. He was a bloody nice guy, and he didn't deserve to go down to pee in pee towel. And the cops have dirtied his name every way they can. In what way? Um, I was even accused of having an affair with him. Every woman that knew him was accused of having an affair with Jordan Bedoros. They asked about his drug habits and I can't say whether he was or he wasn't but I know the two shops next to him were selling pee and the main street of Hyrule we had a lab up here on Lee Street I'm fucking furious
0: mate I've lived here for 40 years, you know? So would you say you've generally got a pretty good feel on what goes on in town?
2: I try not to you know, I keep my head down I don't want want to know anything, I know too much already. I always have. This is the second murder I've been involved with. The first one was in Auckland Queen Street.
0: What what could you tell me about Jordan, just the kind of man he was?
2: He was a happy-go-lucky guy who really liked his job and the new community that he'd settled into. And the community was accepting him so quickly. You know, everyone liked Jordan. He's still missed a decade later. I've only just started eating bloody pizzas again.
0: This is the first time anyone has given me a name and a reason for Jordan's freezers being robbed. According to Sierra, a security woman by the name of Sophia was stealing meat and then selling this to buy drugs. And she was able to successfully get away with it due to her knowledge of the local CCR TV cameras. Sierra not only claims to have spoken to Jordan prior to his death about this, but also claims to have spoken to her in person and elicited the fact that she used to carry a .22 caliber pistol with her on patrol. I asked Sierra what Sophia's reaction was when she spoke to her. Yeah. So you said you approached um, Sophia. What did she? What was her reaction?
2: Um, I didn't tell her who I was, or the fact that I knew who she was. I was just someone that happened to be at that particular house at that time. But the whole conversation was witnessed by another friend of mine who set the meeting up. I didn't know the meeting was going to happen, so I was dropped in it. And as soon as I heard this woman's voice out the front of the property, and I was in the back of the property, I knew who the hell she was without seeing her. Yeah. She has a very specific vocal tone. Most people do, they're like fingerprints. And working on stage as I did, as a lip sync artist, for 17 years, I imitated other people's, not only their voices, but their inflections, their breathing, even your facial twitches affect Mm -hmm. the sound that you produce. And this woman, I went over this town for 14 months listening to every dark woman's voice and nobody matched her. Friends of mine who were accused of being the dark woman came up to me and said, hey, what's it, me? And I said, I know it's not you, babe, because your voice is wrong.
0: Naturally, my thought, and probably yours, is if what Sierra is saying is true, why have the police discounted this line of investigation? While I don't personally agree with her reasoning, Sierra has her own theory, and as has become so common, it circles back to drugs, or in particular, methamphetamine. So, why do you think the police discounted what the fact that you said you heard this woman? And...
2: She's an Islander, he's a Greek, why waste our tax money on an international crime? You know, it's going to cost them five, ten million dollars to process this bitch through the courts. And then seventy-five thousand dollars a year in prison. Why bother when there's so many other crims out there? You know? Murder's nothing when they're trying to get rid of pee.
0: Would you say pee is a, a was a big problem then and now in this town?
2: Five houses in my street closed down in a lab. What does that tell you? Yeah, well, they were calling the street Cracker Ave for years.
0: And that's the street just behind?
2: Right here. This street. is Corbett Street and they were calling it
0: Cracker Ave. And the lab is in Lee Street. But this was, just to clarify, not now. This was back then.
2: It is. I was talking to a local officer recently and he said there is nothing we can do about Pete. It is endemic in our society, which implied it was also endemic in the business he was in.
1: How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
2: Right? What do you do, man? I just want off this planet. I really do, but suicide's not an option. You know, I've been threatened to be burnt out three times at least in the last 10 years because of this. Really? That's why there's a huge pile of bricks and corrugated iron up the front of my building now. You know, i totally threatened. And now the landowners on either side of my property have decided they want it too. So like on January the 1st at 11.30 p.m., they sent the cops into my place this year because they couldn't get a cop on New Year's Eve. So they did it the night after. 11.30 I'd been sitting in my workroom for three hours painting. No sound, no vibration, painting. When the cops came in, I showed them what I'd been up to and I put my thumb through the work that had just taken me three hours. Um, I was disturbing the police at peace and I was dealing drugs. And as I said to the cops, I have lived in this building for 35 years. Don't you think some dumb fucker would have reported me by now? Excuse my language, not. I'm a very angry person three mayors in this town have asked me to run for mayor. I've always declined because my jewellery's better than theirs. And who'd want that stink job anyhow? Um, I know I'm a piece of work. And I know I won't come over on a TV camera either, they're just gonna go nuts! (laughs) But I am. The amount of social pressure I've been under for 40 years, I've ended up with fibromyalgia. That's what soldiers came back from the First World War with after being in the trenches. And that's how I feel. I was never this aggressive. They wouldn't have put me on stage on a microphone if I'd been this aggressive. And I've been asking for 10 years from my doctor for psychiatric help over this murder. Even a psychologist would help and I've had no medical help over it. What happened to be kind to New Zealanders?
0: Mm.
2: Our society needs to sit down and take a bloody good look at itself because it's very sick the way we treat one another I'm very worried about society I'm glad as hell I don't have kids
0: As you can probably tell Sierra carries a deep resentment for the police and society in general As she speaks for this interview her emotions are running like a roller coaster. Although it doesn't come through as clearly through the audio she's like a kettle boiling with the switch jammed on lid popping up and down, threatening to explode. She's very articulate and concise in the way she speaks, carefully constructing her sentences despite the fact they spill out very quickly. No doubt, because she's likely said all this before, many times, to others, and probably to herself in the quiet of her home, surrounded by her art and animals. Yet, her conversation has a habit of quickly getting off track as she vents about her frustrations with the world. She's a very interesting character, probably one of the more interesting I've met. I don't know the validity of her stories about golden Jaguar limousines and threatening police, but I decided to include this segment because it leads me to a key point. Credibility. The New Zealand police are likely much like most global police forces. They're generally very linear in their thinking. Things are generally black, or white. There are no other colours. It's clear that Sierra has had a poor history with the local police, and given her distrust and aggressive attitude towards them, I can only imagine how any interviews would have played out. If what she says is true, and sound tests were performed and recorded, then the police did take some of her evidence seriously. What came of it, I'll likely never know. Although, I'd admit there was a part of me that wondered if any tests may have been less of an effort to follow these leads and more of an attempt to shut her up. We discuss some other smaller details about the area and the case and make a plan to go for a walk to the scene of the crime after our interview. And Sierra fondly remembers the life that Jordan brought to the area.
2: Oh yeah, he could be open at midnight. If he was busy, he would stay open. He was a good businessman. And what I really liked about Jordan was the table and chairs that were out the front of his shop gave it a really continental feeling and having Jordan Yahooing in the street at 10 o'clock at night was really bloody amusing and it was just so anti-New Zealand. Had like that sort
0: of European meditation. Oh, oh, totally. Mediterranean. Living on the footpath, partying. Checkerboard pattern thing on the...
2: Well, not quite, but, but he would join his guests at their tables and that's something, I'm, my father owned restaurants, so I know how to all yeah. this sort of rubbish. And that's not the way New Zealanders work. You yeah. <laughs> know, in the, in the entertainment in the yeah. industry. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How long it, it sort of has town kind of forgotten? No, nobody has forgotten a damn thing. We're all waiting for the
2: cops to get off their asses. I mean, everyone has been... Because the front of my building was all sign right up. Uh, It had the date Jordan was shot and that the cops know who killed Jordan and she is still free and it was five feet up on my building and everybody has spoken to me about it over the 10 year period and I am emphatic that Sophia did it. If she didn't do it, she's got to explain to me what she was doing in Jordan's car park at 1.15 in the morning when she was meant to be at home sick. Do
0: you know if the police ever looked at her at all? Or? No idea.
2: They will neither confirm nor
0: deny. They, they did chase... I, I understand they interviewed hundreds of people, so it is possible they may have. But. They
2: checked every phone call made on the Hauaiki Plains between 12 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning. Every phone call was checked.
0: It it, it does seem like from the outside they left no stones unturned.
2: Wrong. Wrong. They talked to, spoke to everyone on this block within five days, but they still hadn't gotten to me. Mm. That's interesting. The 90 year old lady who was my neighbour, for 30 years went to absolute pieces and booked herself into the old folks' home rather than live in her house anymore.
0: Because she was scared of what had happened or,
2: yep, yeah. Mm. Just the whole energy of the block changed, It was really very freaky, very edgy.
0: Because that's something I've actually found doing this so far, people I've talked to, there's actually been a reluctance of people to talk. Um, sort of a bit scared almost, people thinking that the person might be in town still and they're worried for their safety, like do you feel that there's any...
2: Uh, Sophia, Sophia's been gone for 10 years, they've not seen hide nor hear of her, she'll be hiding up in Otara where she will blend, you've got to come back to the person that heard it happen, or admits to hearing it happen because the other two won't.
0: So do you know, so who are the the other two that... Vicky and Linda. So Linda being the one that was cleaning up that night. Yes, and And Vicky Vicky at the depot.
2: That's just down here, that brick wall, see that's attached to the back of my building? Uh, Oh yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. well they are the ones that have had me under harassment for seven years because they want my building.
0: Oh, so they were in in there that night? They
2: were in that building that night with the back door open. They could have heard um, far more clearly than me. They were only 30 feet away from when it happened.
0: And they still live there now? I could knock on their door right now? Yes, I'll take you for a walk around the block and show you where it all happened if you like. Yeah, sure. Linda and Vicky. You'll recall I spoke to Linda, or Rusty, in episode three, and she claims to have heard nothing.
4: So I stayed in the flat out the back of the shop, and it's soundproof because I can't even hear the main road. It's so quiet. It's like there's no sh- no cars, you know? And, and it's like Richard said, lucky I had the two dogs out at his place, and I had my little old Pomeranian with me, but if I had my younger dogs, they would have been out there barking because I, if I hear anything, I'm usually out there. And that's what, that's what Richard said to me. He said, you were lucky you didn't hear anything because I know you, you would have been out there and to see what's happening if I had a heard Jordan or screaming or yelling or anything. And he said, and you would have been a witness and they would have pinged you too.
0: At the time of the gunshot, Linda was no more than 30 metres away and apparently heard nothing. The third person living in the vicinity was Vicky. She owned and operated the Depot Antique Store she also resided here at the back of the shop, And in fact, it was Vicky who would have been the closest to where the shot was fired. The actual distance between where she slept and the location of the spent bullet cartridge was between 15 and 20 metres. As part of my research for this case, I look through any old pieces of news material I can find, searching for any little nugget of information that may have been overlooked. And in one article, I found a reference to a strange man turning up at the back of the neighbouring Depot Antique Store the day before Jordan's murder. So I tracked Vicky down to check this lead and at the same time had discovered she also resided at the store and had been home that night. Did you used to own the Depot Antique Store? I still do. Oh, you still do today? Yep. And so my understanding, what I read in the article, was that you'd spoken to someone at some point that... The day before Jordan's death, there'd been a person sort of hanging around the back looking for rusties.
4: Uh, oh, um, yeah, um, but that person didn't act suspicious. They were just knocking on the wrong door.
0: Oh, right. Okay, so that's – someone's yeah. taken that for She, the she always
4: – yes, they have. Um, she always has someone who does that because she's never opened at the front. Yeah. So they come into my shop and sort of say – Um, is rusty here? And I said, no, she's in the shop next door. So they have to go around the back or ring her number. But I didn't think that it was suspicious. It's just that it happens. So someone's taken that and put it in the wrong context.
0: Making this podcast has further opened my eyes to how pieces of information can easily be taken out of context or exaggerated in the early days of a case when different media outlets are rushing to try and get a scoop. So this didn't really come as a surprise. Fortunately, as it turned out, Vicky had much more to add and went on to tell me about the decibel test performed by the police, collaborating what Sierra had said.
4: And she told the police that she heard a gunshot. So they did the exercise by telling me that if I hear a gunshot, not to be alarmed. So they were doing a decibel reading. Oh, okay. So they put the decibel reading in her place, and then they shot the, well, they did a shot from the back where Jordan is to see whether the decibel reading did go to her place. Ah, uh, okay. So they kind of did that. Well, I'm virtually um, almost, you can say, next door to Linda, and it's her backyard that the episode happened at. So I'm more closer than Sierra. So, But I never heard a thing. I so, never heard a thing.
0: Do you actually live on in a flat there
4: yes I live in the back of the shop so did Linda and so did um, Jordan all three of us are in a row side by side okay so there's Jordan Linda and me so if there was any noise to be heard it would have been me but I never heard any noise so I told the police that
0: and that night what were you because what were you doing at, were you in bed at that time it was quite I early. was
4: in bed I w- it was quite early so I would have been in bed.
0: Are you a sort and, of a deep sleeper or a light sleeper?
4: Uh, I'm a deep sleeper. So, and that's what I told the police. I never heard a thing. But if anybody mentioned something about that, I had seen someone suspicious. It's it wasn't suspicious. It's just common knowledge that when Linda's not open, they want to get into her, get to meet her. So they come to me, and then I just say, "Go to the window, and you'll see a phone number and ring, and that's all." Oh, okay. Uh, and I don't th- it. I don't think it had anything to do with Jordan's um, death. I don't think so. It's just that because it was common, if you know what I mean, yeah. it was uh, an occurrence most times. And even the delivery people bring her stuff to me because she's not open, and they leave it at my in my shop. And when she when I see her, then I tell her she's got something in my shop to pick up.
0: So how long have you been there with your antique store? 18
4: years, 18 years. Oh,
0: okay. So you've sort of been, because Viv's been around for a while as well, hasn't she?
4: Yes, she has, longer than I have, and Viv's on the other side of Jordan, but she doesn't live there. But um, I do know that uh, when I was going through a bad patch with my partner who was here, um, usually sometimes at about 11 o'clock at night, I'd get up and go and sit in my pajamas and dressing gown with Jordan out the front and we just have a chat and I'd order chips from him and we just have a chat and chips and then I'll come back to bed.
0: Yeah, he was he's quite a sort of um, a, bit, a good ear for people by the sounds of it sometimes. He was.
4: And he was good to the young boys, you know, when they would come along he'd just make up a batch, a parcel of chips and just give it to them. Yeah. Even the truck drivers used to ring their order in before they got to shop, and he'd have their pizzas and their chips ready by the time they pulled up outside his door. and they would just take their chips and away they go again, so that's what he did. and he'd he'd stay up late because drivers were coming through late. He would stay up late to do their chips. Well, he so was, that was more quite- a, 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 he was more an owl, I suppose you call it an owl. <laughs>
0: So, because you lived the three, you and Linda and him lived quite close. Could you sort of get an idea each night of when people went to bed? Sort of like, did he stay? What would sort of he stay up till each night? Maybe one or two in the morning or something.
4: About that, about that. But that's because of the truck drivers coming through, Mm. and he'd know who's coming through, and he'd stay up, stay up to do their chips, and he'd have it ready when they drove past. Mm. Or they would call in and have a chat with him, like me you know, go out there sort of early hours of the morning and just have a chat. I do hear him sometimes when I'm going to the toilet because my toilet's up the front of the shop because he's quite loud when he's talking. And I do hear him chatting away to people out the front and that could be about two in the morning sometimes.
0: Yeah. Hmm. I, I've noticed you you still sort of speak of him in the present tense.
4: Oh, <laughs> That's, After all these years, yeah. and I still can see his face, and I, and yeah, and and him in the shop with all his cat caps hap, hap, on the on the on the window. Yeah, I mean on the walls, that sort of thing. Hmm.
0: Were there people coming and going in that back alley commonly? On a, uh,
4: I really couldn't tell you because I have a shed and a gate.
0: Oh, because I've that been blocks
4: able... my view, um, but I don't really hear much. Um, because okay. I'm in my little wee um if you know my setup, I'm in my little wee house within this building and I have my TV on. So if it's on, I don't hear anything.
0: Okay. Because I've been mm-hmm. in that back alley and if you're looking straight towards where Jordan's back shot used to be, so Vibs is on the left. His is I'm, all, on,
4: I'm on the right.
0: Because there's a brick building there on the right.
4: That's mine.
0: Oh, that's yours. And that runs all yes. the way to the front.
4: Yes, it, it does. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, so you are right there.
4: Yes. I didn't know anything about um Jordan's, you know, being passing or anything like that, and I was out the front putting my furniture out, and then there was the cops, and then Linda came out, and she told me the story about how she went out the, the front back of her place and saw some legs, but she didn't particularly go to the body because she knew in her mind what it was. So she rang her ex-partner who was living in the house in the gorge to come and look for her and he's the one that actually i believe called the police not linda
0: i guess you would have known linda quite well
4: uh at that time not really really well i only um uh, yeah not really really well other than that she's a little bit of a weird Because her and I had a big tiff that time too, because I brought up something about um, uh, why was she living in the shop when she should have been living in the gorge, and all I said to her was, "Have you and um oh gosh, now I can't remember his partner, Dick. Have you and partners? uh, Have you and Dick separated? Wow, she turned on me like I was yeah." Hmm. So her and I, she she got in a tiff with me, so all I do is I just ignore those people, and I just walk straight past her shop. So we hadn't spoken to each other for, how long has Jordan been gone? Uh, almost nine 10 years, years, yeah. Almost 10 years. So it would have been at least nine years that I hadn't acknowledged her, Wow! even though we live next door to each other because I can be like that, I can just ignore them, walk straight past and not comprehend that they're there. But just recently when Linda sold up and moved, then I um, uh, got a bit more friendly with her and said that I will hold her farewell party in my shop here. So she came and we had a few drinks and we were here till about three in the morning. I'm not that friendly, but at least she'll acknowledge me and I will acknowledge her now. So yeah. that's a life between what, me and Linda.
0: Did you ever talk to her much about the when finding Jordan and stuff other than what you sort of no. said to me?
4: <laughs> no, because since she her and I had this, um, uh, not a disagreement, but since she went all ballistic to me about Dick, which was about the same time as Jordan's passing and all the investigation, I never really it up again. I didn't bring it up again. I didn't want to because it just opens old wounds. All I said to her was, have you and Dick separated? And I think that to me now, in hindsight, that um, probably she thought that I thought she might have been having an affair with Dick because she's back. She's left Dick, uh, not Dick, Jordan. She's having an affair with Jordan because she's left Dick. And I think that was what was on her mind. So when I said that question to her, she went ballistic about it, and I think that's why. But as far as I know, personally, I don't think she was having an affair with Dick. With Jordan, you mean? Uh, With Jordan, sorry, with Jordan. I mean, you could say the same as me, because when Philip passed, I was here on my own, and like I say, I'd sometimes go and talk to Jordan. Anybody would have thought that him and I were having an affair. We were just friendly, that was all. Yeah. But I, I don't think she was having an affair with Jordan because he wasn't that type. He didn't he, from what I've sort of seen he doesn't look that type but
0: I mean who no, knows.
4: No, he wasn't. I don't honestly 99.9% I don't believe he was that type. His yeah. children came first in his life and I've met them and to me his children were his first priority in his life. Yeah. So I don't think he was having an affair.
0: The fact that Linda went ballistic at Vicky for what would apparently seem a rather innocuous question, have you and Dick separated, does raise the eyebrows, particularly as it seems this conversation took place around the time of Jordan's death. But as we learned in episode 3, when I spoke to Linda, she was feeling guilty at the time about the awkward situation with herself and Barry, so could this explain the outburst? The biggest takeaway for me from my conversation with Vicky is the fact that she heard nothing, despite being such a short distance from the gunshot. If you'll believe Sierra, then they did hear something, and refusing to speak. But at least in the case of Vicky, I believe her. I don't think she heard anything that morning. But I can't deny that it's odd that of the four closest residences, being Sierra's, Vicky's, Linda's, and the funeral home, it was the two furthest locations that reported hearing either commotion, or a gunshot between 1.15am and 2am, and the two closest locations heard nothing. To add some perspective, the funeral home where the residents reported hearing the shot at 2am is located over 50 metres away across the road and behind a large building. If you're interested, I'll include a map on my Instagram and our social media accounts showing the locations and the distances. Sarah and I wrap up our interview and take the short walk around the corner to the site of Jordan's murder, where she points out where the freezers used to be located, and also gives me a picture of how private the area was before it was recently cleared. with marks around about here, wasn't there? That's what I'm picking, that's what i heard. So before, at the time, there ship. was a gate here and a gate there?
2: Yes, and I've been onto, not there, just here, and I've been onto Jordan to shut them at night. Why have them and not shut them this, this was all fenced up for the boating company that's up Pukki Road. And he had very expensive boats in here, so he put all the security in. It was all electrical too at one stage. It shouldn't have happened. The whole situation should not have
0: happened. Oh, and there was obviously some trees and stuff down here. Oh,
2: full row of trees here yeah. and there. This has all been cleaned up this month. There so was still, a jungle in
0: here. You couldn't get much more private though, really, in terms of Place
2: to commit a crime, just walk around in a circle because you walked around and the freezers
0: were in there. So, yeah, so when he'd been, when his freezer had been burgled, obviously they'd have to have come right round in here.
2: Right round. And only the security officer would have known to have gone that far in. And why would you go in there when there's nothing really visible? It looks a damn sight tidier now than it did
0: yeah. there. There's no doubt that given the location of Jordan's freezers, a person would likely have to have known they were there in order to find them. So was this person a local security officer named Sophia? And if she was stealing food out of Jordan's freezers, are these thefts related to Jordan's death? If you have any information on where Sophia might be today, you can email us anonymously at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned the word credibility. It's such a key part of any eyewitness testimony. It's clear that Sierra holds a strong resentment towards the police and has a larger-than-life personality. But does this mean she's not credible? I don't think so. The reality is, she is one of the key witnesses. She was a very short distance from the scene of the crime and heard yelling and arguing. And she claims these voices were Jordan and a Pacific Island woman named Sophia. The time she claims to have heard this argument is 1.15am, and although this is somewhat earlier than the gunshot heard by the funeral home, it's certainly within a reasonable time frame to be considered relevant. I've studied a lot of unsolved cases, and if there's one thing that's consistent, it's that the cases that remain unsolved for the longest periods of time normally do so because the person or persons responsible were completely unrelated to the victim, thus making them never in the spotlight of investigators. Aside from speaking to Sierra, I've never heard a single word about a security guard And if we believe Sierra, she was the one responsible for robbing Jordan's freezers. So it begs the question, have the police ever investigated this lead? Is it possible Jordan's killers remain free because Sierra, one of the key witnesses, was never considered credible by the police? Or is this just another red herring? Another piece that won't fit into the puzzle that is the hunt for Jordan Fedori's killers. Guilt is written, produced, and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. Opinions of guests of the podcast are just that and are not necessarily the view of the podcast itself. For further information and updates on the case, you can find us on Facebook at Brevity Studios NZ or my Instagram, Ryan Wolf NZ. For tips, you can email us anonymously at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com. The title track of this podcast is Jukebox by Patrick Patricios